Marriage is the first, most basic of all the institutions. A lot of institutions that that we have today. But from uh, the family came the kind of like, I guess you could say, uh, patriarchal and then tribal systems. And then after that uh, developed, you know, you have these government systems. You, you get into a monarchical system where you have kings, and then you uh, experience the democracy. So you, you get those kind of governments. And as parents raise their children, we know in the uh, time that America has been around, uh, there have been schools that developed, uh, and so they were institutions, education systems, academics, uh, colleges, and uh, all sorts of higher learning. And you have all sorts of uh, cultural organizations, but really they get their um, their beginnings from the true beginning that we see right here in Genesis 2 off of the family. Uh, so when God developed that, that was the institution of all institutions. When it falls, all the other systems go also. And we can think of what has happened to our nation what has happened uh, to the family, and you can look at all the other institutions and pretty well gather what uh, what is happening. John Murray um, sees seven ordinances as he uh, looks in this book here. He wrote a book called Principles of Conduct. Um, anyway, we see four of those principles, or actually ordinances, right in Genesis. Uh, back in Genesis 1.28, you have a couple of them right there, uh, where it says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, he's ordaining there that um, there would be um, multiplication, or procreation, you also see him being ordained in the sense that there is going to be labor for him to do. Uh, we see in Genesis uh, chapter 2, we see the uh, ordaining of the Sabbath. Uh, verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And in Genesis 2.24, which is kind of the section that we're dealing with here, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And uh, there's the ordinance of marriage. So God made his ordinations uh, very quick within the uh, first week. So last week, we looked at the original relationship that God had with Adam right from the very outset, right in paradise. And uh, he said that this relationship that they were going to have, he showed that there was going to be many privileges, and also with the privileges come what? Responsibilities. And so he started setting that forth. We see those obligations. I think those privileges were quite apparent as we looked in the uh, Garden of Eden last week and and saw, uh, like for instance, the trees and the water system there, the river flowing, and out of that there's four of them that came out, and then he started talking about also the gold and the onyx stones and rich blessings, fruitful blessings that God gave Adam. He prepared this um, this earth and especially that paradise section, that Eden, uh, just for him. He made sure that everything was all done, and then he brought man in. 
Now, wouldn't it have been something if man would have been there, maybe created on the second day, and he would see uh, almost like barrenness, let's say. Um, There's nothing there prepared for him. But no, God uh, has him set up to where he would be um, have everything ready for him. Um, So anyway, God just heaps all these blessings, all these privileges upon Adam, and he's endowed with an amazing relationship, Adam was. And then in the second half of um, that chapter 2, and we dealt with that last week, uh, and especially in that section, um, there were obligations. And mainly when we think of the obligation that he was uh, going to do there was that uh, as he would be tending the garden, we know that that's one thing he was to be doing, um, he was also not to do something. And of course that was the discussion of the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, but requ- Adam is required to do certain things and to not do that one thing. Um, and now we get into this ordinance of uh, marriage, which is a tremendous blessing that God has for Adam, uh, an amazing responsibility too. But he just continues to heap the blessings. And the ultimate blessing that he's going to get, as, as if he doesn't have enough, what's the ultimate blessing that God is going to give him? Eve. Yeah, a relationship. No, the guy said that. <laughs> yeah, I was really quiet on that, wasn't I? <laughs> he grants Eve to Adam. And uh, this is a provision, quite a provision that uh, Eve is. So that is the culmination of all these tremendous blessings that he gets. That's right at the top. That's... Uh, that's awesome. And so that's what uh, God is doing here in this section. He just keeps mounting it up and mounting it up. And finally we see here right at the end of chapter 2 where he was going with that with Adam. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are and what You do. Uh, it is all about You. But as we look at You, we see Your great grace and how You tend to man's needs And we know that you really care about your people. And you desire for them to know you and to have a relationship absolutely with you, but not only with you, but other people. And companionship is so key to uh, our lives as we live to glorify you here. As we get to know you, we are also get are to get to know your people. And that's how we learn better how to uh, show the love that uh, you've given in to us and as we work that out. And uh, help us, Lord, as we learn a little bit more about what you had for this great institution. And uh, we know that it addresses society today and shows uh, so much of the error, the wrong thinking of what you had designed. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. Now, God is going to pronounce that man has a need. Adam has a need. And God's going to do it. He's going to show this in a way that I think is really interesting how he uh, makes sure that Adam knows that he has a need. Uh, the need of this companionship. 
so let's take uh, let's take verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now this section is a foundation. And this foundation is so messed up today. And it has been for mankind since sin, really. But uh, we can look at it in our country and recognize uh, many of the problems that we have. It's incredible. And it's because this foundation has just been cracked and broken and we live on a broken stage. We're broken actors. And, and we know that because of sin, uh, this is why we've gotten where we're at. But isn't it great to know the one who mends all this too? Uh, for the first time, we see something here that is not good. God actually says this is not good. Now, He has said that it's good and it's very good. And this time He says it's not good. All of, all of his creation is done, and he's created man and woman, uh, or he's going to, uh, and it's not good for him to be alone. Uh, I think the the very good, which was pronounced back in Genesis one, wasn't that dealing with um, Eve? Was that what it was? Um, verse thirty one. God saw all that he had made. I guess everything in uh, all the way up through those six days, God saw all He made. Behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And uh, then we get the creation of man and woman, and then it proceeds into that. Um, man was incomplete. Man was not complete without Eve. Adam, in a sense, was inadequately uh, in a shape where he didn't know it. But he needed somebody to complete because he was insufficient. Because that's what God is saying here. Uh, It's not good. It's a negative sense. And he needs a helper because uh, he was not intended to be that way. It's not God is surprised. He's just scratching his head and saying, oh, I forgot something. What else do I have to do? Uh, Adam recognizes uh, what's going on here later. But... um, having created everything perfectly. God then looks at man, uh, doesn't have a companion, so it's almost like an anthropomorphism. He gets on his level as he speaks with man, something that he can recognize, and uh, he's going to have to remedy this situation. So, um, it's uh, when you think of a solitary fellowship, God never intended that to be that way. Uh, when you think of the triune God. For instance, right here in verse 18, what do you have? The Lord God. Uh, The Lord is Yahweh. And that's one who has a relationship with us. We've explained that name, but also just a general name for God. But it's Elohim there, which is uh, plurality, which, again, is going to be dealing with this triune God who is called Yahweh. And so he has a relationship uh, with those three persons and this one God. And whenever he creates uh, his people, he intends for them to be able to have companionship. By the way, uh, we have a feast tonight. So if you feel like you're a little bit hungry as, as we're doing Bible study, there it is, or get it later. But we have all sorts of things that came in here tonight. Um, so help yourself. It's really good. Uh, it was never God's plan then for mankind to be alone, was it? Never. Um, basic need for uh, humans 
is companionship. How would you like to just be totally alone, always, 24 hours a day? God says, that's, that's not the way that I want it. So He's going to provide a way. What do we have here? What's He say? It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a what? A helper suitable for him. A helper suitable. And what you're going to get into here is that it's not that she is less because she's called a helper and suitable. It's that there's a role involved for what God has for woman. And, of course, man has a role too. But she has a role and there is dignity with that role. It's not that she's less, she's equal, but she's going to serve and be a helper um, that uh, is, is suitable. It's a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, if you said that today in our society uh, about a woman to be a helper, I think it would probably get uh, bad reviews. What do you think? It sounds, and especially, I think the Ephesians 5, everybody knows where we're headed there, you know, as she's supposed to be submitting, and we know what the world thinks of that. But God has a perfect way of uh, putting it together. This idea of helper suitable uh, means to be like a perfect fit. It's a perfect fit for Adam and uh, also for her. Um, so what we what we get here is her role and her dignity in that role. Word helper. It's the same word that uh, you see in the Old Testament um, a few times. The Lord is my help. How many times have you heard that? The Lord is my help. He helps us, doesn't He? Same word, same idea. Um, oh God, our help on ages past. Remember that song? He's our help. So anyway, the, uh, she's going to come to the aid of him. She's going to come to the rescue of him in, in that sense. I think it's quite a, uh, an awesome position of responsibility that, that she has. And uh, I think that we look at that, we see how they, they just fit together. A perfect fit God has in mind. Man can blow up everything, though, can't he? Anyway, um, would you say that the idea in this passage is to show, Adam, you have a basic need. Here's the idea. Woman is going to fulfill what you're lacking in. Would that be fair enough to say that? Okay. A lot of people would say, oh, this is about procreation. That's what this is all about right here. That's what marriage was made for, they would say. That's not what this passage is really emphasizing. It's, it's in there, but we're talking about companionship. That's the fundamental uh, motive for marriage, companionship. Some people say, well, it's for procreation because they're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. And all of a sudden you get off into a, a Roman Catholic view which actually will teach that marriage is for procreation. And it's almost like it's for really nothing else. Although I think they would say other other things. But that is their fundamental view of that. And if you go back to early church history into Roman Catholic theology, you're going to run into Jerome, who taught that. 
And one of our favorites, who I highly admire, and I think most of you do, a man by the name of Augustine, believe it or not, took that view. Now, we highly commend him, but John Calvin, who wrote a lot of his stuff, being inspired in the sense from, um, from Augustine, he borrowed a lot from him, uh, he totally disagreed with Augustine on his view. And uh, Calvin, I think, uh, uh, would give him a rough ride. Uh, now, now, here's what Augustine said. If God had created marriage for companionship, He would have made it between two men, not between a man and a woman. <laughs> that was his view, that men and women really couldn't have a mutual companionship. And so he said if God had intended companionship, that marriage is the vehicle for companionship. He would have created two men. And uh, so that was his view of the way that the, the sex is related and the way that women were really unable to provide that appropriate and needful companionship that is what God designed. They had it wrong. Augustine is wrong. He is several times. We know we... Uh, we are thankful to uh, what, what God had given him. And we've, in Reformed theology, we owe a lot to him. The Catholics claim him, and so do the Protestants. Yeah. Didn't Augustine have, uh, prior to his conversion, have many bad relationships with women? I mean... Yeah, that's like very good. Carnal, you know, he probably was kind of influenced by his experiences of that. You know, in that way. Right, and he saw it um, more in a, in that that old way and, and in the fleshly way. So he tried to maybe back off a little yeah, bit too or much. To completely separate the physical, you know, from uh, companionship like you know, mind to mind or soul to soul, where you could do that with two men, but you know, uh, obviously, you know, in the in the physical way um, if he said you know marriage could only be for family or for procreation you know that's because you know just strictly looking at the physical yeah and I'm afraid would you say that a lot of people can take that today uh, in that in that sense they see it only for for that reason and if they, they don't get that kind of I don't know what people think anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they think all kinds of things. <laughs> well, Calvin and the Reformers and the Puritans um, were right. They got it right. And because of as they looked at Scripture here, they saw the, the huge importance of the role, the dignity that uh, the woman would play in the marriage and how there's supposed to be a, a great companionship between the two people. And so, uh, of course, sometimes you'll read of some of the the Puritans, or uh, maybe I'm not so sure. I I think Luther and his wife got along pretty good. I'm not so sure how Calvin and his wife were, and there were different circumstances. Uh, but Calvin understood it right. But um, it, it was like marriage was second best before that. And uh, then your reformers come along and they see scripturally how God intended on that. And it wasn't second best. It's the best. It's companionship. It's, uh, it's not just procreation. So they followed Genesis 2 and they see that companionship is a very basic fundamental motive for marriage. 
And so that's kind of a setup as we look at 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. The New American Standard has a different word there, which I think is good. He says, I will make him a helper corresponding to him. Corresponding. Yeah, I saw that word come up. I like that. You know what? That. Corresponding to again, uh, and when you you know when you said that it kind of threw me because you said NAS. You know what I'm reading tonight? NAS. It's the updated edition. <laughs> you have the old one. You've had that Bible for a while, longer than what I had over this. Can't beat that. ESP actually says fit, but it has a uh, note at the bottom for corresponding to as well, like with the old NAS. That's good. Hey, that, that helps. Okay, we see fit, right? And that that uh, is a literal um, uh, definition of it. Corresponding to, I like that. Um, so that that kind of sets this up as we uh, we move on in. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the sky, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no, uh, there was not found a helper suitable for him or fit or corresponding to, right? Okay, stop there. I think this is a, a very interesting way that God would choose to make Adam be aware that he had a had a need. He had a companionship need, but he really didn't know about that yet. Now, how long has it been since he's been created? Well, it's the same day. You have to think it's pretty early on, don't you? No. Um, well, that's that's the idea. It's somebody that is. Uh, to be a companion with, somebody that is going to help fill the bill, uh, to come alongside. Um, matter of fact, that almost translates into the New Testament thought, I will send you a helper. Now, I'm, I'm out of the Old Testament, so it's a different word, different language, but it would be something corresponding to, you know, in, in that sense. You know, she's, she's going to get to give him aid. I see here the word. That's right. A very visible picture, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, I, I think that's what uh, what God was shooting for. Uh, he he didn't have anybody to commune with on a spiritual level. I mean, everybody um, or most people like pets or like animals. 
might even have one in your house or something, you know, and, and you can you can talk to them and, you know, they might even respond back to you, but you're still not on a spiritual level. You can never get on that level with those animals, even though you love them so dear, right? Uh, he was he was lacking that kind of, of relationship, as, you know, created by God in that sense. But uh, So God provides this opportunity that Adam would see it himself and being as smart, as intelligent as he was, the most intelligent man besides Jesus Christ that was probably on the face of this earth. Um, man without sin and his mind never tainted by it. Uh, God actually brings the animals to him. A lot of people think that that's impossible for Adam to go out all over the Garden of Eden and all across the, the, the area to go find these animals. And they're thinking, well, that, that would take days or weeks you know to find these he, he's not a uh, a hunter <laughs> he's a namer <laughs> and god brings them to him that kind of reminds you of uh noah also doesn't it as he brought those animals there that's just what it says uh and it's interesting in 19 it says out of the ground the lord god formed every beast of the field and somebody said oh there he is he's creating again what's going on here well no uh, we saw that this has already happened. There was uh, a, a time whenever they were created. He, it's like he brought them out of the ground, just like he brought Adam out of the ground. They had the same kind of chemistry. You know, God used those elements that came out of the ground. But uh, and, and he sh- he's really saying that this is where they came from, just like Adam did. They're related in that sense. Um, but God had created them, and. Adam has this uh, this intellect of being able to name them. Uh, and when he's going to name them, he's going to show also, okay, there's dominion here involved. He has dominion over those animals as he names them. And as he assigns these appropriate names, there's going to be a reason why he gives a name to each one of these. Because they're going to um, line up with some kind of... Um, Something that reminds you of it. When, when, you, when you see something, it, that makes sense. That's, that's what that does. Uh, of course, you can think of... Uh, where did platypus come from? wonder if he named that one. Actually, uh, the language we have today, we don't know really what he named them then. We don't even know what language he used. Uh, some people say it's possible he was using Hebrew. Uh, it's, this is written in Hebrew. What language did he speak at that time when he was speaking to God? I tend to think it could be here. I'm just guessing, though. Yeah. One thing I was a little confused about is, like, okay, say you created the dog. Okay, a dog. All right, where does all the breeds come from? If I know, that's, yeah, I mean, if you're not... <laughs> Carmella. Very good. Like colors and 
right? Uh, how powerful do you think his intellect was? I think it's incredible. Um, his intellect did not increase when the fall happened. What happened? Decreased. And so, therefore, I, I think somebody had said it like this, and I think that uh, it, it goes like this. Um, the early Christians used to say that Aristotle was but the rubbish of fallen Adam. The rubbish of fallen Adam. That was Aristotle, the great thinker, the great philosopher. <laughs> um, I think it was impressive beyond our imagination what kind of a mind that he had. And so as he, as he saw something, he's just not throwing out a name just to be making it up, you know, and speaking in some kind of a tongue and just letting it come. You know, whatever my mouth says, that's what it's going to be. I think there was something relating to the way that that animal could have looked. You're getting classification here probably. Uh, who knows what all he's thinking, but... Um, God gave him a, a super mind that was that's the way that the mind was intended to be. And you can imagine the minds that we will have when we're glorified. <laughs> and uh, not even dwelling on sin. So God gives Adam the opportunity to show that he has dominion over these animals and also to use his powerful intellect to come up with this and again, I believe that is a tremendous blessing that God gave Adam and what he has uh, intended ultimately for all of mankind. Um, I think it's reminding Adam, just as Eldon had said, that he's without a suitable counterpart here. He doesn't have somebody else as he looks at the animals. I mean, that's, that's good. Uh, look, Adam, there's nobody out there like you. Hmm. You know, there's no way uh, uh, an animal is going to do here. So it's a perfect fit. A helper suitable. A perfect fit. A helper suitable. Uh, quite a support. Um, mutual companionship that he's going to have. So God provides one. And um, so that's uh, quite, quite the thing that Adam has had. He's had all this stuff all brought to him, and now all of a sudden he has a woman that's going to be made out of him. So let's look at verse 21. So, the Lord God, again, naming who this is, the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God makes provision. Man has a need. God provides. That's the way it always has been. And even when sin happened, man had a need God provides. Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh, right? God provides. Uh, of course, we think of the uh, the sacrificial uh, lamb, Jesus Christ Himself. He provides Him for us and met that need for us. So the final crowning blessing here we see uh, in this area, at least for Adam and, and this intimacy, this companionship, um, 
The only thing is, we know when chapter 3 arrives that um, it's this area that is where it's going to strike at, and um, we see that um, Satan's first base of attack is against those who are in the estate of marriage. That's really where he likes to rip things apart. And he does it in a lot of different ways, but um, not saying they were having a fight in the garden or anything like that, but uh, what was it that God had already told Adam? And so there was a usurping. Something happened there. Some kind of um, division. I'm not saying there was a, uh, that division between those two, but in another sense there was because the roles were now confused. Adam names her woman or Isha, right? And man is Ish, Isha. That's, that's that relation there. So she comes out of him. She had her source perfectly in him. That's She recognizes that. From there on, humans are going to come out of the woman. But in this sense, a woman came out of a man. Kind of a different thought. Uh, the root of the word there, that when we're thinking of Isha, uh, is uh, soft. Soft. Uh, would you say that there is a quality involved here? If we if we were to look at the New Testament, for instance, would we say that man and woman are uh, equal? Uh, the equality in the sense, not in the roles, but in the sense of being human beings. They're going to be doing different things. I think just understanding the roles that God has given for man and woman is so basic, but yet it's so far removed from people's thinking today because we're so selfish. We think about our own selves and uh, we make up our own roles. Um, let's go to First Timothy. We, we know that man is first formed and, and God is going to, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reemphasize that and He'll use Genesis. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctify with self-restraint. That could be a difficult verse. We're not dealing with that verse. Yeah. (laughs) That could be an evening, couldn't it? (laughs) Because I know inevitably somebody will ask me uh, later. (laughs) Okay. It was Adam who was first created and then he... That is so basic. And to most Christians, I would think, no problem. That's just the way it was. That's Yeah, that's what it says in Genesis. Absolutely. And so Paul builds on that. Yeah. Corresponding to. That's the corresponding to. Mm-hmm. That... that uh, out of man. Um, 
but the animals weren't done that way. Evidently, you know, they were they were all separately created. And male and female. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not like they made a male. And they were and they were not married. Right. They were not. There was no no uh, fittedness that way. You know, in a human sense. That's right. So, you know, if lower order. Yeah. <coughs> I think it's pretty special. It is. That's incredible. And I think in the Hebrew, I mean, and I don't want to overdo this because I haven't studied the word enough, but it can also mean side. Mm-hmm. Um, we emphasize the rib. But um, I think the Hebrew can can mean that. Maybe, maybe in some ways it might even mean it more out of his side. But uh, I'm not trying to make anything to, to argue about. But I read different commentators, and of course they all say different things. And then when you try to get the language down, you don't really know it that well. And you go, okay, you know what? It's okay. It doesn't matter. It's uh, it's you know, it's. And I will I, I will relate to this what Matthew Henry said about it. He said the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Not bad. Um, Bonar. Um, Bonar says this. I think this is pretty good. I'm not so sure about the exegesis that he would be doing here. Sometimes when you get into some, even some of the Puritans and such, sometimes they will take a verse and all of a sudden they're saying something different than what the text is saying. But I think he has something here that's really helpful. Um, and, and you go back to the early church fathers. And they pointed to Adam's sleep and woman's creation during Adam's sleep and, and compared it to the, the death of Christ, okay? And and the creation of the church. So you have the death of Christ, and because of the death of Christ, what comes out of that? The church. Now here's what Bonar says, and I think it's rather good. There must be sleep in the first Adam before God can take out of him the ordained spouse. And there must be death in the second Adam, it's Christ, before God can take out of him the chosen bride. I think the theology is wonderful. And like we say, I'm not so sure about the exegesis here, but do you see what... It's, all of this really is pointing to Christ ultimately anyway. But um, I, I think it's emphasizing the fact that man is formed, Eve comes from him, uh, but we, we come out of... Um, we come out of uh, Christ. Okay, because of of his death, uh, Adam had to be put to sleep. Matter of fact, that was the first divine anesthetic. <laughs> put him to sleep. He put somebody else to sleep whenever he made a covenant with them. Do you remember that, Abraham? That was always pretty cool too. Paul put that guy to sleep when he was preaching, and he died. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that was a good anesthetic, wasn't it? <laughs> they had been preaching for all day. All right. <laughs> Yeah. Not that we can relate to that. <laughs> That's right. Not trying to rush you. <laughs> Quarter tail. Don't want anybody dying here. <laughs> we better close this thing down. Okay, let's go to First Corinthians, uh, chapter eleven. 
You know, New Testament actually quoted from Genesis quite a bit. Gives us a little bit on the uh, the creation, but First Corinthians eleven eight and nine. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Anyway, what you have here is there's the authority that that we see. And of course, we know that uh, Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. And He's showing how that authority works. And as He proceeds on down, what we see here is that um, obviously man is the one who was first created, and then the woman was for the man's sake. Uh, again, it's a, a suitor, a suitable helper. Uh, to be equal with him. Be doing that. Uh, man's first form. Then Eve comes from him. That's an important element because when you get into like a Timothy passage where it talks about um, what about women exercising a position in a church that would be a role that is meant for only man. And what does he use to back that up? That's the reason we read this, the Timothy passage. Um we see that God had set that up. There's the role in the church. Uh, for 1,900 years, uh, men were always the pastors of the church. It wasn't until the last century that uh, basically, now there might have been some cults and things that came along, cults and what have you, that came along and had women as leaders, but the church was never established where women to, were to take that role. It's not that they're inferior, but God has set a role for that. Just like in the family, the husband is the head of that household. And so therefore, he has the authority in that household. He's not to abuse it, and we, we clearly get the instructions of how that is to be played out in Ephesians 5. So you, uh, your Ephesians 5, your Genesis are great passages. You hear those at weddings a lot, but why not? They're great text. Uh, they, they give us a great basis of how God intended it to be, not only an institution of family, but also the institution of, of the church and uh, how that uh, was to work. And uh, So anyway, it's, uh, I don't think there's anything to argue about. Uh, God has, has made that to be. They're not to usurp the authority that God has given man. Uh, I ran into trouble with that one time. Most of you know that uh, I just had that passage read one time in a Sunday school class, and next thing I know, it created all sorts of havoc. And uh, later on, I uh, basically uh, left that church uh, because of their confusing stance uh, upon Timothy. It was very confusing because nobody really knew what that meant. And so therefore, they, they thought it was okay for women to exercise in that authority. Um, Eve is the glory of man. That's an interesting passage. Did we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Boy, that would set the world on fire if they heard that one. 1 Corinthians 11, 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman 
is the glory of man. They were both created in God's image, right? We're not taking that away. Uh, God has set forth that man would bear the image to God, right? Uh, of God. He's the glory of God. You can see that He's rep- representing what God has given Him to do here. We give glory to Him. Um, so He's given, I guess you could say, uh, a sense of uh, of sovereignty as he, as he rules here. And so she falls underneath that. It's the most beautiful thing when a couple can understand that, that basis. It's a It's a settling thing. And so God had a created order. And there's peace in that when we see that, oh, this is what God had. It's not making one over another in the sense that they're better. It's just that they have different ways to do it. It's like a a football team. You have a quarterback. Well, the quarterback might wind up uh, standing for the glory of that team. And I can tell you that, that it's Tebow time when it gets about two minutes left in the game. Anybody familiar with Tim Tebow? like to watch that. Every week I'll turn it on and uh, yesterday I said, hey, I was with Justin, my son. I said, okay, it's Tebow time. I think it looks like they've got about two minutes left. We didn't know the score or anything. Huh? Okay. What we're saying is Tim Tebow is a quarterback. He's a, he's a Christian and he will let you know about it. He's in your face about it. Well, the NFL doesn't like that, but they can't argue with him because he's won seven games in a row now, coming from behind in the last two minutes and in overtime and winning. It just, it's just an incredible story. It's just amazing. Even if you don't like football, just check out Tebow time next Sunday or whenever they play next. I think they play. All you have to do is watch the last two minutes of the game. And, they, and they win. Do they play the Patriots? Is it, is it New England? Well, what's God got in mind? I don't know. We'll find out. I know you're a Patriots fan, but I'm going to be rooting for Tebow. <laughs> My son likes the Patriots. Okay, okay, we're moving on. Carolyn, Carolyn's over there. We're we're losing them. Okay. God made woman for man. God made woman out of man. And because of this, they have the closest of all relations that any thing can ever even compare it to. I mean, this is it. it's the greatest of all the creational blessings that that he's given. And he set certain parameters, but uh, it's a foundation. It's a foundational relationship for all life. And if we understand what marriage is and how blessed it is as we look right here in Genesis, just a few verses, can you imagine how society would have a lot less trouble? Just society, whether they're believers or not believers. If they could, when a society even kind of goes along with that, even our nation did that for uh, such a long time. Uh, there's all sorts of pressures put on women that they don't have to have. They're put in positions that uh, they they want to have, but they realize that they're not made to be that way. Um, you know, some of them want to play football. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, but I don't think they were really made to be that way. I'll use an analogy. Man's a guitar, and woman is the sound that comes out of that guitar. Hmm. And you can't have one without the other. They complement each other. They need and each other. That's the beautiful part of the... That's right. She's the sound. 
And she can make the guy look good. If the guy treats her right, it's amazing how much all of a sudden you're playing some really good tunes here. Right? Yeah. Self-sacrifice, I think, is what it uh, turns down to. People are selfish. It's really... they, they If people get married because they want to get some needs met, they really shouldn't be getting married because that partner is not going to meet their need. That's why most people, like you were asking Bob earlier, why most, I think that's why most people get married nowadays. And if, if I were... No, it's a, you're right. They're doing it for all the wrong reasons. And if they got somebody that would give them biblical counsel first thing that he would try to do is tell them that they're really getting married for the glory of God. They're going to bear His image. And that's the real reason why they need to get married, why they want to get married. It's because of His glory. And, of course, you start from there, and then you see the motive is a lot different than yourself. Yeah. I think think our main struggles with it as a society with the complementarianism and male headship and all that, it's all all part of this. We just... We define ourselves by our function and our jobs. You know, we find our identity in what we do instead of in Christ and our biblical worldview. And in the Old Testament, there's just no room for that. You know, like we wouldn't we wouldn't be okay with God saying only people that are live in Missouri can be priests, can be pastors. Right? Oh, yeah. If you don't, if you're not from Missouri, you can't be a pastor. Right? Well, that's what He said. If you're not if you're not the you're, Levi? Levi, you're not a priest. Well, that's not fair. I, don't really he care. made the plan. Didn't he? <laughs> right. You know, I mean, exactly. The king, he gave authority to the king. He gave a, a, a lineage of, of authority. It, it's, it, but that didn't make David or anybody else more glorious, right? Their their function and their role wasn't tied to their identity. Hmm. There were two separate things. You aren't a priest. You are. You you have different roles, but you're equal equally image bearers of God. And I have a different role than my wife has, but we're equally image bearers of God. And to that extent, we both reflect His glory. We just do it in a different way. And one of the best things I ever heard about this was um, Bruce Ware makes the point about the Trinity in his book. Are you going to go there already? Go ahead. Okay. Go right ahead. I like this. Um, yeah. That if we understand the Trinity, we see the same the same reality in the Trinity that we see in marriage in that Christ is fully God. Fully God. He's not any less God because He's God the Son. right? And He has all the glory of God, just like God the Father. So God the Father and God the Son are equal in glory and equal in being. And yet there's a clear role in submission. The Son says over and over in John, He follows the Father. He only does what the Father does. He only says what the Father gives Him to say. Right? He's here to do the Father's will. He is 100% in submission to the Father, and yet he has equal, he's equal in glory and being as God the Father. So, you know, if, if we can acknowledge that, then we can acknowledge that it's possible that we could be different in role and authority and submission in our peer-to-peer relationships, and yet still be equal in, before God and in His glory. That's a beautiful thing. Because that's what God is. That's right. It's all about uh, that submission and authority. If we, we can understand who God is on that, then it falls right into place, doesn't it, for our own 
lives in in every situation. Uh, that's incredible. Um, and it elevates uh, women very good, very well to, to to know that. Yeah. That's, you know, instead of this division that people have in their minds. Such a beauty in that yeah. when when that's taken, yeah. and it's usually the if the man can understand it, yeah. then the woman can then fall and right into place on that, and it, that's what usually happens. She's a responder. But if it comes the other way around, it most often doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of interesting as you look. Well, when you go all the way back to Genesis, almost back to the beginning where we're at, you have to turn a long ways. <laughs> yeah, about coming out of the side, you know, you see the equality there, and Adam instantly wrote a like poetry. This is beautiful. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You have to wonder if he if he. If he'd had a guitar there, if he would have started singing this, you know. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. That, boy, is special. As Audrey was saying there, this is, this is an incredible story. You know, we've heard it a thousand times. But you really start dwelling on that, that whole idea. God is a supernatural God. And, and look at the beauty in this and this creation of her and look at the relationship between the two and can you imagine how he felt she came out of me she's part of me we are one you know in that sense of course that's what God will set forth and um, that's uh, so important to know that we're not here divisive but we're there's one here in this relationship and it's kind of interesting um well, verse 24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother. That means once they have a relationship, man and woman, now he's no longer under the authority of his mother and father as he once was. He is to respect them. He is to, um, you know, in, in all ways, in, in the sense of recognizing, hey, he came from them, but now he sets up his own authority. And he doesn't want his parents to be taking control. And he doesn't live in that household. He's now with her. And once he leaves, then he is to cleave to his wife. And that means to stick like glue. You see? And I think that's incredible. I think if... Um, we were committed to that. Once um, uh, husband and wife have come together, they are to stick together. And they are one flesh. And that word one, I think, is the word that is used um, in the Hebrew like whenever there were a, the grapes that they had seen when they went into the like Cana um, and they saw these bunches of grapes. But there were a lot of grapes on this one uh, and I think it's dealing with the Shema. I think you have one there. The Lord our God is one God. And I'm pretty sure that's the Hebrew term. Uh, and that's the kind of oneness that, that they were to be. Verse 25 is, is the interesting. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
What's the significance? Somebody used that word while ago. Yeah. What's the significance here? Well, the answer is the shame of nakedness is linked to sin. That's later found in chapter 3. It was their sinful state that they were aware of. But at this time, now R.C. Sproul, I think, had uh, some pretty good comments on that. He said, in our culture, we fear exposure. Uh, We don't like to be stared at. Does anybody here like to be stared at? What are you guys staring at me for? (laughs) No, have you ever sat in a room and somebody just starts going like that? You know, you you really don't like that, do you? You feel very uncomfortable. And I'm not saying it's right for that guy to stare at you, but all of a sudden it's like, you know, uh, I don't like to be sta- This is really offending me, <laughs> you know? But on the other hand, we don't want somebody to just ignore us. We sit in a room and, and uh, there's somebody else that comes in that room. It's a small room and they just walk right by you and sit down don't say anything to you. And you don't like that either, do you? <laughs> we usually don't like that. Um, but we don't want someone to pry in and, and see what we actually are. We don't like that. We don't want them to see everything. I'm seeing maybe just a little bit. So what do we do? We hide ourselves. We hide a lot of our thinking, uh, a lot of uh, maybe who we are. And we pretend to be what those people expect us to be. So we kind of conform to what they want us to be maybe sometimes. But Adam and Eve... As they stood there with no clothes on, they were in a, uh, I guess you could say, such a relationship, uh, fully exposed, and in a good way, their relationship was open as could possibly be. And when you think, uh, even husbands and wives, you know, they they tend to get a little bit nervous about about their bodies. Don't want everybody to see everything, right? Um, there was a guy. I think said um, people don't like God to be seeing everything. So therefore, God does not exist. They want to take Him out of their own thinking because they realize if God is this big and if He's omniscient, that means He knows all of my inward thoughts even before I think them. He knows everything about... That makes people very uncomfortable and so it's much better to say, God doesn't exist. That's probably one of the reasons, or the biggest reason, why you would have atheists. I can see and be seen, but God cannot be seen. Doesn't sound fair. There's uh, Jean Paul Sartre. He said, If God exists, I am reduced from the level of a person who can engage with another as an equal to being a mere object of that one's gaze. I am made less than human. For me to be truly human, there must be no God, rather than acknowledging true guilt and true exposure. Sartre obviously denied God. But that was his thought. made him feel a lot better. There was a girl who was churched. Grew up in the church. There's a lot of girls like this. I think it's the norm who say they don't any longer believe in God. Well, they happen to be living in sin with a man and she could no longer tolerate the gaze of God upon her so anymore God doesn't exist. I don't believe in that stuff. 
oh, you're not going to tell me about the Bible. I don't believe that. Well, their own lifestyle is uh, being seen. They know it. And uh, so therefore, they would rather remove God from that. So that's a relationship uh, in that sense. Uh, How about relationships to one another? What's going to happen, let's say, if a guy says, what's going to happen when she sees me for what I really am? They go out on the first date and they just ask maybe some questions that are real general and he's really cool, you know. He looks really cool. He's doing all the right things. But he's thinking, what if she really sees that I'm not really the cool guy that I'm putting myself out to be? See, we're not really being honest and putting this out. Adam and Eve were perfectly open. And that's the thought. Not just of physically naked, but the whole idea. Their relationship was perfect. Sin hasn't happened. Can you imagine what kind of relationship that must have been? How about relationships to ourselves? If we could really see, if we could really see who we are in our spiritual nakedness before God, and if you're a Christian, you kind of have, you start reconsidering, hey, there's a solution to this. When you're presented the good news, now the guilt can be removed and you can get back into the situation of saying, I'm comfortable with God seeing me for who I am because He already knows I need to see who I am and I always need His help. I'm always having to drink from His fountain. Anyway, it's time to close this out. I was going to get on about the tack of of, of marriage. I knew we wouldn't get to it. But uh, that's where... Abortion, divorce, adultery. Just pleasures of people in general. Same-sex marriage. That's a big deal now, isn't it? What an affront. There's no such thing as a same-sex marriage. They might be saying that and the states might even be ruling it. It can't be. Did you notice here in Genesis? It's between a man and a woman. There's no marriage going on out there. They can call it what they want. Folks, that is not a marriage. God has already set forth what a marriage is. There's going to be multiple people in a household being parents and wives and husbands living together in a communal thing where you don't have this foundational man and woman. Can you imagine that? They might have three or four men as their father or mothers or women. That's incredible to think of, isn't it? And here it is, just set forth right here, just in a few short verses. And that's what we have to address society with. They need to know the good news. Thank you guys for coming out. Thank you for bearing with me for an extra seven minutes.